the feeling is we have a golden opportunity here to be more sensitive, inclusive for the ceremony to feel less like a feudal imposition and more like the confirmation of a true native son of Wales. But my son isn't Welsh, so gestures are all we have. But gestures can be powerful. What if he went there, studied there, learnt enough Welsh to address the country in their native tongue? Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. My name is Edith Bowman and this is the official podcast for the third season of the Netflix original series, The Crown, taking you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the talented people involved and diving deep into the stories. Today we're talking about episode six, titled Tuvasog Comrie. In 1969, Prince Charles spent a term at Aberystwyth University in preparation for being invested as the Prince of Wales, or Tuvasog Comrie, at Carnarvon Castle. The experience gave Charles a chance to not only connect with Wales and its language, but also his own identity as a member of the royal family. We'll be talking in depth about the events in the episode, so if you haven't got round to watching it yet, we suggest you do so now or very soon. Coming up later, we'll meet the actor behind Prince Charles, Josh O'Connor. Essentially, this idea that Prince Charles has to wait for his mother to die for him to be truly alive, I was like, that's that's it. That is enough for me to mm. like really get my teeth into. We'll also hear from director Christian Shoho. To go to a place and you know everybody hates you here. How horrible. And he must have been really lonely. We heard a story of Charles making friends with two old ladies in Aberystwyth who were running a tiny pub and he would go there to watch BBC with them because he didn't have anyone else. But first I talked with executive producer Suzanne Mackey about the thought process behind episode six, season three of The Crown. Suzanne Markey, executive producer of The Crown, welcome. Um, Thank you. Going to pick your brains, and I'm going to apologise in advance for my pronunciation of this episode, but I'm going to give it my best <laughs> shot, which kind of feels appropriate for the whole subject matter of the episode. Um, Tuasa Komri is how I'm going to say that it. That sounds very good. good. Episode six, which is where we're introduced to <gasps> to young Charles, Prince Charles. Yes, of course, because yeah, I mean, I love the fact that he. Prince Charles is such a significant character, of course, such a key character, a key member of our royal family. But I love the fact that actually he doesn't come into season three mm. until episode six. There's something blissful about his his absence and the way in which he then enters the season has such impact, not least because Josh O'Connor, who plays him, is so damn good. Extraordinary. That it suddenly reshapes the season. It gives it a different rhythm, a different register. And and he, he comes in with such force of nature Josh is such a sensitive actor that immediately you sort of lean into Charles's complex landscape, emotional landscape, yeah. and you're in. And he's kind of, he's he's in training, isn't he, for so many things. Yes. You know, it's kind of, it's not one thing. It's it's kind of, he's, it's almost kind of life training he's thrown into, isn't it? Absolutely. It's life training. And of course, what he presents to Peter Morgan's dramatist imagination is that he represents the crown, the future, and that immediately offers an opportunity to to be quite profound mm. in in the dramatising of Prince Charles, in what he symbolises both as a, as a young man 
finding his way in life and the one a young man who will have to calibrate his life according to the fact that one day he will be the king of England and that he will surpass his mother. Those themes are big, you know, they're Shakespearean and uh, fantastic to grapple with and imagine, you know, so much of what we do has to be a conjecture of sorts. Yeah. The notion that uh, his life will only become realised, if you like, when his mother passes away is is really complex and yeah. knotty and, and sort of brilliant to, to imagine and grapple with. The government proposed, and we agree, that you should spend a term at the university there to learn the language. But, no buts. But I'm really rather happy at Cambridge, not to mention I've just been cast in a wonderful role. I know, but... I thought no buts. But sometimes duty requires one to put personal feelings... And frivolity. ...aside. In the episode as well, where you know Wales is featured very prominently in this series so far, and yeah. and, and beautifully um, yeah. and delicately in episode three, but a, a very different story around Wales and Welsh nationalism and yeah. the language in this yeah. this as well, but uh, but brilliantly told. It was a wonderful episode to to work on. Um, James Graham wrote it with Peter and it, it allowed them both to explore Welsh nationalism that, that obviously have so many resonances for today Yeah, about a, a disconnect, um, about an identity and who we are and what we are and uh, I, think, I think it goes to the heart of so much of Great Britain's complex uh, landscape and geopolitics uh, and, and a nation's identity and, and, and that it can stand proudly and it can often be unrecognised and overlooked. Yeah. And that, of course, in one simple swoop, allowed us to go from, you know, from big to intimate so that the ignored and the overlooked could then be Charles's predicament, Prince Charles's predicament of both the country and the person, if you like. Why was the investiture an important thing to cover and to feature? The Prince of Wales conjures so many... Emotions, I suppose, for, for, for Great Britain, for Wales, and it's, it's controversial. His predecessors, past Prince of Wales, have not been successful. So it's a burden and a gift in, in one fell swoop. And I suppose also the Queen bestows that on, on, on both the son and the future monarch, and that in itself is interesting and complex. You know, I suppose in story terms, it's multi-layered, it's symbolic and it's significant and it's what feels both exciting and good and and also troubling yeah and was it the was it always the choice and i love that you made that choice of making it heavily welsh language based as yeah. well as opposed to just having welsh people speak english yeah no i think that's absolutely right i think we we endeavor to do that wherever i think authenticity is such a key part of what we we strive to do that wherever possible it, it was respectful to wales to do that <laughs> and so we actually filmed there as much as we possibly oh, wow. could yeah Again, that was part of an ambition of ours to show the respect to Wales, to actually go there, be there, be part of it, to, to be living uh, amongst the community. We learn through imitation. Like anything in life, if we pretend we're something long enough, we may just become it. Poreda. Poreda. Good morning. Good morning. Bertha de Genu. What is your name? What is your name? Edgin Sharad Kamraik. 
Do you speak Welsh? <laughs> Do you speak Welsh? The episode's directed by a German director called Christian Schauhau, who's extraordinary and I think a brilliant talent. And we and Peter talked about maybe finding a director that could possibly have a different eye on, on the world um, and, and maybe to not just always have British-born <laughs> directors, but to maybe look look elsewhere, that that was interesting, that we wanted to keep refreshing and evolving. Mm-hmm. And, and Christian, we approached because we'd really admired his work and he really responded to it very emotionally and having been brought up in communist Berlin, it registered for him somehow on a, on a very deep level and it's hard to articulate why, but somehow we understood that. Yeah. And so he, and it was it was in in many ways a risky thing to bring in a German speaking director to understand the very complex, nuanced world of of the British royal family, the British class system, and then on top of that to to immerse him in Wales and have him understand that. And I look at the result, and I think it's exquisite and exquisitely understood emotionally and politically and. Um, I love all the episodes uh, and I couldn't pick a favourite, but it's one that I find immensely stirring. The director of episode six of season three of The Crown is Christian Shoho, who we met in the last episode of this podcast. He told me about why he was so excited to take on the episode, which introduces Prince Charles into the series. I was so happy because it's something completely different. Yeah. And I knew, oh, this is big because it's my job to introduce young Prince Charles to the crown, which is like a big honor. So I was I was really lucky. I mean, all the episodes are great, but it's such a big story. Yeah. His way into Wales, into the Welsh cu- uh, culture and how he builds up the relationship with Teddy Millward, his teacher, his mm-hmm. tutor um, to teach him Welsh. And the whole journey to find himself and how he ends up giving this amazing speech and actually giving something back to the people it always felt to me like a like a like a feature film it's also the the way that we are really introduced in in a a really intense way of josh's performance as prince charles and josh is extraordinary isn't he I was so amazed. I mean, we met a few times before we started filming, so mm. we would go out and have dinner and became friends and yeah. because this is the way I work. I need to build up a relationship with the with my main cast. So it was great because he was nervous, but he also was he was also confident and he was ready um for the adventure and the first 3 days of our shoot we did so many of his big scenes especially the office scenes with Teddy Millward where he does the tongue twisters i think that was shooting day 2 wow and um the whole crew was applauding after <laughs> seeing the first rehearsal of it it was it was great a tutor who tutored the flute tried to teach two young tutors to toot. Said the tutor to the tutor, is it harder to toot or to teach two young tutors to toot? What a to-do to die today at a minute or two to two. A thing distinctly hard to say but a harder thing to do. For they'll beat it a two at two today, a rat it a tat to two, and the dragon will come when he hears the drum at a minute or two at two today, at a minute or two today. <laughs> he gets to Wales. And of course, they there are some people in the streets who, who applaud, but then... When you watch the research material, people really hated him. They said, go home. And I mean, he he was a boy. He was, what, how old? 19, 20. Um, to go to a place and you know everybody hates you here. How horrible. 
and he must have been really lonely. We heard a story of Charles making friends with two old ladies in Aberystwyth who were running a tiny pub and he would go there to watch BBC with them because he didn't have anyone else. Um, and then, of course, he met Teddy Millwood. We met the real Teddy Millwood. Wow. What yeah. was he like? Well, he's very old now. Yeah. Um, but we showed him the episode. And that was very moving. We we went to Wales, um, Una, the producer, and me. And um, we we booked a cinema just for him. Oh, what was his and, response? Um, he was really moved. And, uh, I mean... He, at some some moments he said, "This is not me," but um, <laughs> but he but he enjoyed it. I mean, because our Teddy Millwood, of course, you know, it's not replicating. It's yeah. not about imitating no, reality. But there are so many situations where he said, "This is how he felt," and this is how Charles appeared in his eyes. And mm. it was wonderful because his daughter who's actually also part of the episode because her mom is pregnant in, in, in our episode. Yeah. Um, so and this is this is her and she helped Aww. us a lot and she would give us the old original speeches of her dad and um, help us a lot to, to build his character and the whole episode. I'm very grateful for all this. I hope you'll be able to put your feelings to one side. I gather you're a Welsh nationalist. I'm an educator. Do you leave your politics at the door? No. My politics are the reason why I walk through the door every day. And if I believe, and I do, that anyone deserves a university education, then it would be hypocritical of me not to extend that privilege to those at the very top as well as the bottom. But you don't approve of me. (laughs) I've nothing against you personally. But you wish my role didn't exist, my family's. I don't think of myself as against things. I'm for things. For my country, my culture, and my language, most of all. And the crescendo of that performance, you know, which which we see is, you know, there's almost those two two endings to the episode, almost, you know, in terms of when he has to, to make that speech in Welsh in front of there's everyone. T- there's three <laughs> endings, actually. <laughs> Go and then talk me through them. Well, the, the big ending is, of course, Charles giving his speech at the investiture in, yeah. in Carnarvon Castle and um, finding his own voice and his own words without his family knowing or having any idea um, yeah. what he's talking about. And the Welsh people are moved by his words. And it was amazing experience to shoot this scene at Carnarvon in the original castle. Wow. And all the extras were Welsh people. And everyone there, even the people who are too young to have been there, they have it in their bodies. Yeah. And they were really moved. And um, so many emotions came up. And I would say we can feel it in the picture as yeah. well. So that was one ending. And then the second ending to me is him meeting Millward after the speech because Millward was invited but he wouldn't go to the castle. Yeah. He said, this is where I draw the line. And I find it a very a very touching ending and it kind of became a lifelong friendship so they are still in touch. Charles and the real Teddy Millward. I love that. Charles writes him cards or letters and so... And I think we get a sense of that in yeah. um, in that last scene. Absolutely. So second ending, but yeah. then ending number three, yeah. Charles coming home and expecting 
at least something from his family. And then he comes back and there's nobody. And the queen doesn't even want to speak to him. And when she speaks to him... It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. She's so cold. She's so... She's using the most cruel word, words you can you can use as a mother to show him what is his role in this family yeah. and what is his life going to be like. No one is interested in your voice. Nobody's interested in who you actually are. And I mean, for a young person, this is this is more than heartbreaking. To hear that from anyone is hard, but to hear it from your mother yes. is particularly hard. Yes. I was speaking to Olivia about this last night, then... I mean, it's. It, I love that scene because after Charles has left the room, we see her sitting um, at her little, how do you call it, like like a desk, ta- desk yeah. table, um, looking at herself in the mirror, and then the pressure goes out of her body, and we know it's not what she believes in, but she has to say it. If this union is to endure, then we must learn to respect each other's differences. Nobody likes to be ignored, to not be seen, or heard, or listened to. Well, am I wrong? Isn't there a similarity between my predicament and the Welsh? Am I listened to in this family? Am I seen for who and what I am? No. Do I have a voice? Rather too much of a voice for my liking. Not having a voice is something all of us have to live with. We have all made sacrifices and suppressed who we are. Some portion of our natural selves is always lost. That is a choice. It is not a choice. It is a duty. Now it's time to meet the next in line for the throne, the phenomenal actor, Josh O'Connor. Josh, welcome to our crime podcast, Your Highness. Oh, (laughs) wow. Cool. (laughs) Our very own Prince Charles. I've got to say congratulations, first of all, because... Um, your performance is extraordinary in this season. It really Thank is. You. Um, I want to know what you had to do to get the part. How, what was the audition process? Initially, I was filming in Brussels and just having a chat with my agent. And she said, do you watch The Crown? To which I said, obviously. <laughs> um, and she said, well, you know, that they're re- recasting everyone. They're jumping ahead in time. And I was like, right. So obviously they want to see me for Prince Charles. Because I just assumed, I didn't know, I actually didn't know that they were going to do that, but I just thought, you know, it's only a <laughs> couple of us it. with the ears <laughs> and I'm <laughs> one of them. So so then I, and this is kind of shamefully, initially my feeling was maybe not the right thing. Yeah, um, why? I think just because I, I actually just thought, you know, partly because I'm probably brought up a Republican yeah, sort of indifferent, and if you if pressed, like really not interested in the roles. So it took a bit of convincing. I.e., they sent me a script, and as soon as I read that script, I was like, I'm straight in. There was this one line where I think it's in episode, eight, episode eight, Dangling Man, where he compares, actually, he compares himself to the ca- character from Dangling Man, Saul Bellow book, uh, a, a man who's waiting to be drafted to go to war. And he actually wants to be drafted because it will give his life meaning, even if that means going to a certain death. Mm. Essentially, this idea that Prince Charles has to wait for his mother to die for him to be truly alive. I was like, that's that's it. That is enough for me to mm. like really get my teeth into. You talk about your perception of him prior to coming on to this and, and really finding out who he was as a person as opposed to as Prince Charles. Yeah. Was that quite easy to get to and find and what did you do to try and dive into finding him? 
in a weird way it wasn't it wasn't kind of finding him that was the 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 tricky part as you say like the physicality the voice yeah it's well known and you you'll probably speak to the people who do all that you know polly bennett who does the movement is incredible william conacher is like the best kind of dialect coach imaginable yeah and has worked on all the seasons knows these voices and these characters inside out and so so much of that work was done very quickly and I could kind of get into the hardest thing actually was letting all that work go and getting to the exciting bit which is creating the fictional character of Prince Charles as opposed to what we see every day on the news or whatever and the moment that sort of where it clicked I guess was I was trying to think of moments in in film and culture where I've seen performances of real people that have like grabbed me Mm -hmm. And, of course, there are incredible performances by people like Michael Sheen and, uh, you know, Meryl Streep, who play real people. Yeah. But the ones that always stuck with me were eight actors playing Bob Dylan in, yeah. I think it's called I'm I'm Still Here, or I'm Not There. I'm Not I'm There, not yeah. There. Including Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Yeah. It's like Ben Whishaw, Heath Ledger. And I just thought, to me, that is so much more interesting as an audience member to see an essence of a character as opposed to what we recognise as Prince Charles. Because we don't, none of us know, essentially. Mm. And also, I'm not a mimic. I'm not in the business of replicating. I'm in the business of creating. And and so that was the kind of, that was the hardest bit, was letting go of all that stuff. And just going, right now, i just got to create something new. We're going to talk about some specifics, and in particular, episode six. We start the season and we kind of we don't really see Charles for a little while and then suddenly, wow, here he is, and here is this huge event that he is thrown into, um, and just for me, this whole episode is about his relationships, his relationship with Wales, his relationship with his family, his relationship with this kind of strange mentor that he befriends when he's sent away to to Wales. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about one of your first days of filming was a big scene in that episode. Is that right? The biggest, maybe? I know. The first day of... I think the first day... Certainly the first day of filming with the family. Yeah. Because obviously they've been filming for a little while. Was this Welsh speech. And Helena got the giggles, obviously. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Always. Yeah. Uh, Because I think... I guess they must have been... I understand there was a lot of talk of like, oh, and when's Josh going to turn up? When's Josh going to start doing his job? Um, <laughs> and they must have been like, you know, what's? Oh, I'm interested to see what his Charles is like. Yeah. I mean, look, if they'd read the script, they would have seen that I was speaking in Welsh. Apparently um, Olivia doesn't read the script. Yeah, Olivia would have had no idea. Um, but Helen, I'm sure Helena didn't know. But she, I think just the idea of me opening my mouth and speaking as far as she's concerned, gobbledygook. It just must have sounded absurd. <laughs> but that was my first day. It was terrifying. I, Charles, Prince of Wales, to become your liege man of life and limb and of earthly worship. And faith and truth I will bear unto thee live and die against all manner of folks. What was your preparation for that? Because, like you say, in terms of losing all that baggage that came with this character that you're creating, Mm. there's a lot to play with. 
the environment that he's in as well, which was by all accounts really terrifying. There was people who were happy he was there. There was also a lot of people yeah, who were very animosity, unhappy. Yeah, I always had in my mind making that episode the kind of end point, which is really important to me, which is the Richard II speech. Because Partly because it's it's a part I've always wanted to play. Um, <laughs> so this is my chance. Uh, actually, there was a really funny discussion I'll mention where they were. Someone said to me very early. I think it was Peter Morgan yeah. said to me, "You know, we need to discuss whether Prince Charles is a good actor or a bad actor." And I was like, "Peter, I'm playing Richard II uh, on a on the Crown on Netflix." He's a good actor. I want to do it well. I'm not making it rubbish. This is my chance. I might never play this part again. Do you think um, he is a good actor? I think he probably is, actually. I mean, he is. I mean, he is. We see him all the time being a great a kind of performer in the public eye. Yeah. I imagine he probably was. But yeah, I had, I sort of, I guess I had that as my sort of end point. Mm-hmm. And the moment of Carnarvon and doing that speech was this, I guess, the feeling of the role being such a, a weighted role, such a power. Mm-hmm. You know, all this work I'd done on, on his physicality about having the world on his shoulders, this arched over person. Um, Carnarvon was the accumulation of that. He's like a Christmas tree with all these kind of gold garments all over him. <laughs> such and a good way to describe He it. really does it like a Christmas tree. And he's, it's weighted, all those costumes are heavy, and he is this tiny dot supposedly trying to fill Carnarvon Castle, which, by the way, is not only an epic castle, it's huge, but it's also, there's no, it's open air, it feels like this mass void, and it's like an echo. And what Christian directed so well, I think, in, in, in the episode, is this sort of silence. It's almost like gladiator moment, mm-hmm. walking up through the tunnel. And I just wanted him to feel like, how on earth would he ever fill this role? You know, I don't think he can at that point. I think he's a lost boy walking up that aisle towards a family that he doesn't feel connected to, a father he feels no connection to, a mother who won't hear won't hear what he has to say. Mm. It's just kind of like devastating, really. This relationship that he had prior to this event with Wales and the relationship after this event, do you think it changed? Yeah, I mean... Historically, from everything I've read, 100%. And it, that's, that for us worked in the narrative. I think there's the moment where he is at the dinner table, the kind of president and principal of Aberystwyth University, yeah. taking him out for dinner. Millwood's sat next to him and he's asked about Llewellyn at Griffith. Yeah. And he has no idea um, who he is. I think that, that that has to have had an impact on him. It, Wales has such a clear identity. Yeah. And previous to him being invested, he, of course, wouldn't have had much of an interaction with Wales. And as far as I know, Charles has been the most active Prince of Wales recorded. Yeah. And has done so much in that nation. And I feel, you know, whilst I'm sure... There's kind of, you know, we're, we are the crown and we are fictionalising aspects yeah. of it. I'm sure that he's, you know, he must have changed his views yeah. after that moment. Now I know who Llewellyn Ep Griffith was. The first and true Prince of Wales. Given his title by the English King Henry III, murdered a few years later by Henry's son Edward, Edward I took the title promised to Llewellyn and converted on his own son at the gates of Carnarvon Castle. Hmm. 
the great betrayal. But the ancient hope still remains, a prophecy that one day a prince will be presented from Elena's gate atop Carnarvon, and that he will be a true Welsh-speaking son of Wales. I can't ever be a son of Wales, but I am working on the Welsh-speaking part. Millward was a, is an incredible uh, character and real character and relationship that we see develop as well. And you actually went to, to meet the real yeah. Teddy Millward, didn't you? How was yeah, that? Was mad. Was it? Well, he came, actually, amazingly, he came to us because we, wow. we were desperate to meet him. Mark and I, Mark Lewis-Jones, he's, I think, incredible Plays in this Millward, episode. Yeah. yeah. Mark and I were both keen to meet him. But it was the, the day he came was su- such a... It was a weirdly kind of spooky moment because we were in Aberystwyth and shooting a couple of scenes and Mark and I were in the, in the green room just having a cup of tea and then someone said, director wants to see you. So we went downstairs and as we were going down the stairs, we saw the back of a head of this guy and immediately Mark was like, that's Teddy Millward. It was a mad, it was kind oh, of wow. like we just, he had this kind of presence and it was like weirdly seeing this... <laughs> sort of ghost of a character. Yeah. And he was lovely. And there's a thing about the ties as well, is that right, that they, his daughter gave Mark ties. Yeah. Is this true? And Amy, again, this is like amazing Amy Roberts. I don't know if it worked, Amy asked her or the daughter told Amy. Yeah. Either way, Mark ends up wearing one of his ties. And he does this lovely thing where every time he kind of touched it, it was almost like him feeling like he had a bit of a kind of closerness oh, to... sweet. So nice. That's so lovely. I love that song. <laughs> That's me all over. <laughs> I love the relationship, though, he does have with Anne. That's yeah. really... Yeah, that's, that's That feels really true and kind of just authentic as well. And, and working with Erin, who plays Princess Anne, mm. she's fantastic. Where did she so, come from? I know, what? Oh, God. <laughs> it's mad, isn't she's it? She's brilliant. And she's totally invented, I guess reinvented, the idea of Anne. You know, people don't talk about Anne. No one knows and anything about Anne. Literally, you know, we've just got back from the States where everyone's going mad for Princess Anne. She's suddenly like this rock star. <laughs> and it's because she is so funny. When I first started, as I say, they'd been filming for a little while. And I was in and out of um, left bank offices, working nonstop every day, doing research, voice, dialect, everything. And one day Peter was there and Peter said, come and look at this. And he showed me the scene where Philip calls in Anne. And all Erin does, Erin was like, yeah, that was, that was one of my favourite scenes. And when you watch it, it's like, she just goes, mm, yes. And doesn't move her mouth, just, yes. It just makes these noises. And it's absolutely extraordinary. And I just remember thinking, right. Up your game, O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real deal. Um, I love that relationship in episode six. And another scene that's just a moment of pure class. I think it was Christian's idea. Um, sorry, Erin, if it was hers, but <laughs> I think it was Christian's. Basically, on the page, Anne kisses Charles on the cheek. Yeah. And that's it. And it was so powerful as that, you know, as written. But then to add the punch to the stomach is like a stroke of genius. Because of course that's how siblings. You can't just do, you can't just be nice. Yeah. You can, you're embarrassed by being nice. So you like be nice and then <laughs> whack him in the stomach. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Why is she never like that with you? Vile and cold like that. Because I'm irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> 
I rather wish you would be like that with me. It would suggest I have significance. Trust me, you wouldn't like it in reality. I would. I'd bully her right back. Fancy swapping then? Fancy being the heir? Not if it means going to Wales. It humanises yeah. them. That's the thing, you know, these are people. They're in this extraordinary situation, but they are humans, you know, and they're going yeah. through all these different emotions and situations. And you see that at the end of the episode as well, once he gets into his mum's bedroom yeah. and she has this talk at him where <laughs> she, you know, she's she says that no one's interested in what you've got to say. Oh, my God. What? But then... There's just something that Olivia does that you, I think she turns or there's a moment where you go, oh man, that's the two sides. You know, she's just had to say that because of the mm. duty. Yeah. But the mum side of her that is in there. Yeah. Is devastated. Yeah. And it's the constant, it's the constant battle and conflict in all of them. Mm. You know, if, I always think if Charles was able to see or if my character is able to see the scenes that happen without him, like when the Queen says, you know, should we, to Philip, should we let him say his speech, write his own speech? And Philip's like, absolutely not, that'll be carnage. You know, she is she is fighting his corner, but she can't show Charles that she's fighting his corner. In season one or two, I can't remember which season, it's almost an identical conversation with Claire Foy, where the Queen says... You know, I can't think or breathe. Like, you know, I can't do any of these things. Olivia plays it so well because it's just something she knows to be true. Yeah. Like she knows how painful it is, but she can't show those mm. emotions. It's doubly hard for Olivia because <laughs> they're called Kurt and she's just crying. <laughs> can't stop her. You mentioned the end of episode six and that performance of Shakespeare yeah. and how it resonates personally with his story and that lovely shot of Anne in the crowd as well yeah, it's just good. like yeah she's there for him yeah. she's got his back yeah, I know that speech really well and I, lo- I know that play back to front it's like it's my, one of my favourite plays and one of the reasons I got into acting was Richard II wow and so when I saw that at the end of the episode and then rereading it suddenly thinking of those words about here's a yeah Richard II is the king who essentially is struggling, you know, it's all about masculinity and all about how to fill that role and feeling like you don't fill that role. And him at the end kind of saying, I live with bread, I eat bread like you, need friends, feel want, taste grief. How can you say to me I am a king? You know, it's. I love the idea that he's properly pleading and saying, just see me as one of you. But we never will be able to, we can't. What the crown is all about is trying to humanise the the superhuman, but they can't be human and they're just born into it. And for me, it was like this really kind of dramatic moment that actually, and what Shakespeare does so vividly and powerfully is sometimes explain the unexplainable through imagery and through feeling. And essentially, I saw this final soliloquy as Everything Charles couldn't say to his mum, Shakespeare manages to navigate for him. Cover your heads and mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, form and ceremonious duty. For you have but mistook me all this while 
I live with bread like you. Feel want. Taste grief. Need friends. Subjected thus, how can you say to me, I am a king? I'm Edith Bowman, and my special thanks to our guests on the episode, Suzanne Mackey, Christian Shoho, and Josh O'Connor. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join us next time when we go behind the scenes of episode seven, when Prince Philip struggles to come to terms with a life without adventure. There comes a time in life when one first really starts to evaluate what one has accomplished. And because of the position that I've ended up in here, who I've become, um, who I'm married to, <laughs> uh, I've, well, I've not been able to achieve the things I would have liked to. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.